the one that should be worried. You're a freak. You're heading for big trouble. Big trouble. Before I could sing, I could only muster a whisper. And the whisper was in the distinct shape shadow of all that is given lost to the wind. Jesse Daniel Edwards arrives at my house on a hot Sunday afternoon in a black sprinter van. My new puppy and I stand outside, watching him park a few paces down the street. He emerges from the cab and approaches. I am sighing the break of a day, again, as a prayer and elegy, when all that would turn is all that could not rise. Everyone around these parts knows Johnny Cash is the man in black, but today I would debate them. J.D.E. rolls up dressed to impress, a dark night absorbing all the sunlight of an 88-degree day, the boots, the bolo tie, a pompadour that makes a mullet look like a crew cut. It is God knows only his will, easier to say less than nothing than to utter the endless fare thee well. He comes bearing gifts, a bottle of champagne, a salami, and as you can hear, some poetry. We may lose only that which to we may be always lost. And you will find me wherever I may be found. You already know the way and have always known. If you sing the same benediction, send it across every sea, every land, through the mirror of time. I will hear it, I was shaped to hear and listen to your song. Even the light whispers in the dawn. But this ain't no picnic. Jesse's not here to woo me. The salami is for the pup. We sit in the backyard, me, Jesse, and his photographer friend Lauren, drinking champagne out of paper cups like proper bohemians. Brando the puppy gnaws on his salami. And the dog likes me. I'm going on the record. The dog likes me. I did bring salami in my pocket, but hey, it's a pro tip. <laughs> in the music biz, in most any biz, it's all about first impressions. And Jesse Daniel Edwards certainly gives one. And it's not the poem book or the boots or the belt buckle that do me in. It's that none of this feels pretentious. This is Jesse being Jesse. And this act of poetry is just the beginning. She lost it all in the divorce but found half her smile again. She said it wasn't very nice not telling her I'd come around. But I was only passing through and I'd run out of things to talk about. And whatever happened to Jesse Edmonds, man, I heard he lost his father. And as the tape rolls on episode 134 of the Independent Minded Podcast, I smile. I'm about to have another enlightening chat with an interesting cat, all while a little white dog naps at my feet. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Jesse and I talk about his late arrival to the rock and roll party, the benefits of busking, life without television, celebrating music, and releasing a one CD box set. Let's kick things off with Backyard Party from the new album Violenzia, then my conversation with Jesse Daniel Edwards, right here on Independent Minded. Come on, let's celebrate. Helping 
Jesse Daniel Edwards doesn't just show up at Bald Freak Music HQ carrying booze and Italian meat. He also presents a CD copy of his new album. The physical version of Violencia doesn't come in a jewel case or a sleeve. It's packaged in a cardboard box. It's one CD in a box and a whole lot of nothing else. <laughs> but anyway, I love my record label, Cavity Search Records. They got involved and they said, all right, hand the football to us. We'll turn it into something that's tangible, physical, releasable, listenable. Because I had just made this record with my friends and cohorts, and it just was living on a hard drive, and I just, I never, and I'm honest when I'm saying this, like I never had any impulse to put it out. I never had any thought that it would ever be listened to. Because that's not why I do it. That's never been important to me. Some painters paint, but never nail their art to a wall. Others curate their own art shows, open up gallery spaces. All the art I make, music, podcasts, carries a similar weight. Seeing my album in a record store, even if it's buried in crates amongst my heroes, it's a form of validation. Never mind if someone else actually discovers it, or God forbid buys it. Like more than a few guests on this podcast, Jesse doesn't seem to care about that part, but he's grateful that others do. Even the folks at All Eyes Media who set this great meeting up, they deal with a lot of amazing artists and songwriters, and they picked me up just because they're fans and they believe in what I'm doing. I couldn't do it without those people. So I became myself again, even in name, due to kind of sifting through my own history and being able to have conversations with people that were invested and interested in that history and saw a future in that history. If you had talked to me back then, I would lose her in the end. It would have made no difference, it wouldn't change your goddamn thing. I could have tried a little harder. Make the days a little longer Been stronger, maybe that would have changed everything Part of that history is a project born during pandemic times. A project called Juniata. Jesse employs a dozen musicians to fill out the sound on new material that sounds far removed from the folk-based Americana he'd released prior. Now, on Violencia, Jesse makes another hard pivot. There are elements that are totally different. You know, the 13th piece band stripping it down to a three piece you know you're right to hear horns there was strings Can you miss you know this is nashville it's not like and there's nothing wrong with this but it's not like you're calling up the high school jv marching band it's like people just be talking in the sort of break room in the session like oh yeah yeah i was on that solomon burke record oh yeah i played with jimmy brown and it's just like whoa Okay, and you're playing on my record, okay. That's why I think it sounds so incredible is because you have amazing singers, amazing players, and really rich textures. When you strip that down to three, You have the same level of power because you have three distinct orchestra sections. You know, everyone's playing the same song, arriving at sort of nexus points at the same relative time. Everyone's in their own world. I mean, look at Nirvana, look at the great three pieces. It's just like, 
I mean, you can do anything you want. And it doesn't have to be the same all the time. It doesn't have to be the same bumbling, bounding bass line. Maybe one day you're pissed and it's just thumbing through. You know, you're just click, clicking away. When you downsize from 13 to 3, it's probably a little easier coordinating a tour, studio time, rehearsals. I knew that I wanted to take it somewhere just as a band of gypsies, not trying to build a career out of that, but just sort of to have an adventure with some friends, you know, like have a, have a summer camp moment, you know. You wipe that hot shot grin off your face or I'll shoot it off you. You got that? I'll finish up them taters. I'm going to go fondle my sweaters. Come on, what? Finish up the taters. And then what did you say? And then what did I say? You said you were going to go fondle your sweaters. That's kind of why the sound is, is set up to be played by three people. good to hear some pragmatism amongst the poetry. And I understand the temptations of inviting Nashville's finest to contribute. When I came here in 2017 to record the title track for my second solo album, I hired local musicians to give my songs some much needed energy, to fill out the sound. We did it in two studios, in two days, mostly on the fly. I got to play a beautiful Steinway. I sucked inspiration from my setting and from the company I kept. Folks who up until a few days ago were strangers. That was my summer camp moment, and it's a summer I won't soon forget. Without that experience, I'd have never moved to Nashville myself, would never be sitting here talking to Jesse Daniel Edwards more than two years later. My album was centered around one instrument. Jesse's is too. Long live piano rock, baby. <laughs> right? That sleeping in your garden under your garden lights. Oh my God, please kill me now. It's, what's his name from last night? I woke up, didn't know where I was. Half a memory of what I done. Don't know if I'm about to die or just throw up. Please apologize. To your friends, do you think I might see you again? Jesse Daniel Edwards is a transformer. From the sparse twang of an acoustic guitar, to being the captain of a musical basketball team, and now this Keen Meets Queen experiment, built on a foundation of hammer and keys. And it's not just the music that changes. With every new release, Jesse fashions a new look. His transformation transcends words and notes. I'm a nowitarian, I'm a now person. If I was trying to drag something through each of those renditions and versions of myself, then I would become untrue. But there are still things that persist, but they're the right kinds of things, you know, they're not things I'm holding on to, they're things that are traveling beside me. The sound of my voice, you know, even has changed. And it's fun to play dress up, you know, I mean, every, when you're a little kid, every, everyone wants to be a pirate, you know? You don't look like yourself much lately, you hardly eat a morsel. I just try to follow the spirit of whatever season I'm in creatively and just let it work through my whole life. You know, if, if the only art you do as a musician is music, you're missing out on all the rest of it. Jesse grew up as a military brat in a deeply religious household, the eldest of seven children. 
for us, PG was off off the table. There's no PG. We we didn't have any, and we didn't have a TV until I was already a teenager. And then it was like we we're only allowed to watch movies that you know were sort of sanctioned by my parents. And it was a lot, of, yeah, kind of faith-based movies and stuff like that, which is real horror because some of them were about the end of the world, you know, and the rapture. And it's like got people getting their heads guillotined off and. I mean, that's R-rated subject material, you know, so is Noah in the Ark. I mean, you know, I'm not a Bible scholar, but he's been on the Ark for 40 days. They finally make land, you know. And this is text and verse from the Bible. Noah spilled his seat on the ground and then laid down. I mean, Noah jerked off after 40 days on the boat. I mean, that's biblical. So, you, you know, well, I didn't make that up. This isn't an attack. He didn't have any privacy on the boat. He finally... <laughs> the privacy. Right? The, the emus boat. were watching him. He felt uncomfortable. He, he had, had five a... wives, but you know what? No privacy on the boat. Yeah, so anyway, the point, <laughs> the point of that is it's relative. And my parents did the best they could, but they had a sort of relative reality about what was right and wrong. And we can make fun of it now, but it, it screwed me up a little bit as a kid. I mean, you're going to get screwed up as a kid. Back then... I was constantly arguing with my parents to get a TV because I'd go to school. It's the late 90s. Everyone spends a whole day at school talking about TV. You know, I didn't see an episode of The Simpsons until I left home at 17. And it was like I kind of missed the boat. I was like, what's, I mean, I get it, but how do you watch this every day? Come, family. Sit in the snow with Daddy and let us all bask in television's warm, glowing, warming glow. (sighs) Very religious, semi-religious. Semi meaning, you know, my dad, recovering alcoholic, even then, you know, and military guy, kind of strict, fastidious personality. But he, I think he kind of replaced a lot of that, the military and the alcoholism with sort of a, a very disciplined sort of religion. And as soon as you talked to him, he would sort of start branching out into into Bible talk. It didn't take me long in my 20s when I decided I wanted to reconcile with my dad that He's just trying to, to reach me in the only language that he knows that is somewhat emotional and somewhat profound and somewhat spiritual. But isn't that a sin? Mark, mm, just about everything is a sin. You ever <laughs> sat down and read this thing? Technically, we're not allowed to go to the bathroom. So books were the thing that kind of slid past the censor, but that was it. So books and music, that music was all we had. You know, we had the instruments that were just in the house, piano, some, you know, guitars and ukuleles kind of passed down from family members. That's how I learned to do music. And, you know, that that upbringing features in a lot of those stories because if you listen to the song lyrics, it's a lot about someone who doesn't really know how to exist in the real world because their world is unreal. They don't know how to talk about TV. They don't know how to do relationships. They don't know how to be affectionate. They never... They never had that. Their world was just two-dimensional. My influences were classical and jazz and church music, and that's all, all, all that we were allowed to listen to. But in that, you know, I found certain of the classical composers I really gravitated towards, you know, aesthetically, artistically. And then with church music, there are undeniably moments of just it's such emotional music. And in the history of church and spiritual music in this country, it goes back to a place of soul. It goes back to our history. It's, it's, very, it's very ornate. It's very intricate. So I was channeling all of that together, but whenever you leave home at any age and you discover rock or rap or exciting music, when I left home at 17 and discovered music outside of the kind of two or three that I've been allowed to listen to, the styles, you know, 
this is the missing piece. I had the music, I had the lyrics, I had the emotions, but it wasn't any fun. You couldn't dance to any of it, you know? It was just, it was either music you're damned, it's music this life is worth worthless, or it's music I'm addicted to, I'm an alcoholic, I'm addicted to opium, and I'm gonna die in a jail with $47 to my name. That was the message. It wasn't like, let's go out and party, have fun, mosh, dance, crowd surf, let's, that was never, the, I was like, whoa, music can be that too. I wanna rock. Jesse's exposure to an iconic film added color to his otherwise monochrome world. It's that scene in Wizard of Oz, isn't it, where, you know, you're watching the movie and you're like, this is a pretty psychedelic movie, you know, you got houses getting whipped away, you got this sort of gothic, you know, rendering of the American middle class. And then, you know, you have all these vaudevillian characters, you know, the, 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 the relatives and this sort of, this rural Kansas existence. Now look at Dorothy, you ain't using your head about Miss Gulch. Think you didn't have any brains at all. I have so got brains. Well, why don't you use them? Then there's that moment, and they did this so well, you know, when they introduced, oh, by the way, we're gonna make movies in color now, but we're not gonna give it to them right away. We're gonna make them sit through half a movie that's just boring as shit. And then we're gonna fucking, yo, check it out. What kind of a horse is that? For me, that's what discovering music was like. It's like, I love music, it's all I got, and then all of a sudden you're like, well, music, I have no idea. I had no idea. And for me, when I heard System of a Down, that first record, I was just, I hear music, I hear sound. But why is he so angry? Why does his voice sound like that? Why is the band just, why, why are they charged? What is this, what is this unity of spheres and, and experiences? I'm hearing music with a radically different message. I've heard three messages my whole life. I'm getting something that's way over here, but it's working. Why is it working? How do I play like that? What is what is that guitar? What is that amp? What are people thinking in the second row watching this happen live? What is it like to see anything live? But I didn't have the innocence or the joie de vie that I might have had in discovering that at a younger age. For me, there was always this element of like, I was trying to eat too quickly. You know, it was, it was, it was I was trying to absorb too quickly and I would get overwhelmed. So I wasn't enjoying it to the fullest. You know, if I were to discover them at, you know, 13, 14, I would have been just bouncing around my garage like a motherfucker. I would have been like, yes. You know, I would have been reinventing the mosh pit just by myself. I would have been like, but it, when I got a little older, I was like, all right, I, I just, what else have I missed? And why was I deprived of this? You know, and I was still angry at my parents, you know, which, you know, you got to go through that too. I like a voice in the dark, little things, Sunday walks and sunny parks. After all, isn't that what we're all really after? But I get dressed and go to school I get dressed and go to work And I've done it all so well by myself so And it's not just the sounds of that scene and that era that switched Jesse on. It's the mindset. Alternative. Alternative to what, though? 
For artists labeled as such, it means, among other things, rejection by the mainstream. It ain't pop or popular. It's the alternative to that. The key to owning such a label is accepting this not with resignation, but as emancipation. We were recently in Germany and Belgium, and I'm, I'm acquiring a taste for beer. I'm really kind of a wine whiskey guy, but um, usually together, you know. But with beer, I'm learning to like beer. Belgian beer was the way into that. And I was talking to these Belgian craft brewers, and like, I was like, your beer is so freaking good. How come it's so hard to find? They're like, because it's so good. People want Heineken and Stella and Budweiser because they're aiming for average. Because average is what most people can accept. When you make music that isn't average, you can't get upset that the average person isn't getting it. You're talking about something they will never, ever feel or encounter. Just be happy that you're not average. I am. Shout Thank out you. to a dream. <laughs> Jesse descends the mountains of tiny Cuyamaca, California, and ultimately lands outside the bars of Nashville's Music Row. I say outside because that's as far as he and his bandmates get. I mean, if you don't know how to get gigs, you know, you just start busking. And at the time, my brother and our friend that we had met that sort of catalyzed us all playing together and us getting those legs to go out the door with it, we, we didn't even know where to begin, but we had something we could do in a coffee shop and busk on the weekends. We, you know, we had these kind of vaudeville suits, we had homemade instruments, we were using a suitcase as a bass drum. It was all very tongue-in-cheek and sort of silly. But, you know, you'd make $150 doing music, it becomes enough of a vehicle where you can have that inevitable conversation. Hey, this busking thing, you know, we're playing, people are digging it, you know. Fuck the establishment, and the, these, these corporate assholes, we don't need real gigs, you know, we're not a real band, we're, we're doing this for, for the people, we're doing this for the soul, you know. So many people back west had said, you gotta go to Nashville. You know, that the type of this weird act that you're doing, you know, throwing each other the instruments and three-part harmony, this whole thing. You gotta go to Nashville. And we got to Nashville, and of course they invariably said, oh, you guys sound so West Coast, you know? <laughs> so, but there was enough about the place, especially back then, because it has changed in a lot of ways for the better, but it was, it was a lot more rough around the edges back then. It was a lot more bohemian then. If you put yourself in a band and you put yourself in a van, you put yourself in a dive bar, you know, you're in the scene. But when you're just playing on the street and you're just kind of meandering around, you're crossing a lot of lines. You know, you're you're meeting people that never go to see music at a bar. You're playing for people and catching the ear for a second who never go out to buy a ticket to see live music of any kind, really. The opportunities and the conversations, I think, are a little bit more unpredictable. And in that, there's the possibility for magic, you know, and the possibility for spontaneous combustion. It's that sort of attitude towards his music that ignites a friendship with a Grammy-winning mentor. So we were busking down here, my brother and I, you know, and we met Al Bonetta, who was the manager of John Prine, you know, just R.I.P., the great, amazing songwriter. Hey, there she goes. Well, I thought she'd never leave heaven, no. You know, it sure gives me the creeps. Well, you know, I went love that woman to the power of a hat. We both got jabbing, fever, screwed out, heads up tight, then it came to blow. Al Bonetta managed John Prine for decades. He worked with Al Green and Bette Midler, too. Al co-founded Prine's Nashville-based label, Old Boy Records, and he encouraged Jesse to keep writing and performing, to keep blazing his own trails. Yeah, that was a life-changing moment, and it was from busking, which was just a natural, it was an instinct. Jesse endures some trials and tribulations in the years that follow. He loses his mom. A romantic relationship ends. He loses Al. 
He travels. Becomes a tour manager for Morrissey, Jason Isbell, and Lucinda Williams. Then, when travel is shut down, he gives birth to Juniata, a cathartic release of love and loss. All I could think to do was to scream about it. Needed it. I needed it. She's always right, but she knows when she's wrong. She's the kind of girl you bring home tomorrow. And now this new discovery, as familiar as it is new. Inspired by an instrument that's been in Jesse's life since he was watching G-rated movies in the California mountains. I've been all around the world. And guess what? It's all the same. You could see it all from the window of the plane. I hate to sound like a snob, but the reason I didn't play the piano in all those bands was because it just you couldn't carry it around on your back, you know? You could play it in an apartment. And I didn't like the feeling of plastic keyboards. Guess what a twin bed is plenty of space. The piano was also the star of my childhood because we didn't have electric guitars. How are you supposed to get an electric guitar? But you, had, you know, pianos were sort of indigenous, you know. I'm so happy I think I might cry. I hadn't played in so long and I, I think I missed it and I think I was ready for a change and I think whatever floodwaters receded for me, it was there. And uh, all the songs came out at once in a completely different way than I was used to with guitars and other instruments and I just kind of went with it. Here's Jesse following his instincts once again. Not overthinking, not creating any stakes. No real plan to release or even record what he's making. The results invoke bands like Keen and the Killers, artists like Bowie, Boland, and Freddie. Truth is I lied when I said I'd be fine. I'm so happy I think I might it came out naturally, I didn't try to shape it into anything. But, you know, if it's not commercial, if you're not trying to industrialize it or monetize it, you can indulge in that. You're like, I want to honor my 16-year-old self. I want to play with my 16-year-old self. I want I want to scratch that itch. I'm going to do this for me. I'm going to pull off a, a Brian May lick if I can, you know? And you're not trying to imitate it, you're, not, you're trying to sell it. You're trying to honor it, you're trying to celebrate it. And there's a distinction there. I didn't have any clue what to do when I liked a girl or when I liked somebody or when I felt the need to fuck or I felt the need to fight. I didn't have any, there was no backdrop. So rock and roll and music began to stimulate that part and say, wait a minute, that comes out in music. Music is a way to sing what you feel. Emotions have been my guide to discovering vocals, not the other way around. The next time I see Jesse Daniel Edwards, there's a good chance he'll have changed his haircut. Maybe his wardrobe, too. He might be in the middle of making a ukulele record, or a musical, or putting together a big band review. It's more likely that the Jesse I'm talking to then will be in some way altered from the Jesse I'm talking to now. And I'd expect this sort of behavior from a self-proclaimed now-atarian. I surrendered myself to experience when I left home and I said, everything's on the table. Anything goes, let me experience the fullest range I can of a human experience. And that was a thing that imbued my song.
If you're gonna be a cool artist, an indie artist, or just someone that just operates in a different pattern, own it, be honest about it, but don't, and never get disappointed that you don't have a place at that other table. If you're doing it for money at all, you're already doing it wrong. This is advice Al Bonetta gave Jesse years ago. There was more moolah to go around back then, more commerce, more of a mainstream to attempt to infiltrate, a lot less noise too. Al's advice has become Jesse's advice, even more poignant now than it was then. I've never done it for money. Am I grateful when we get paid? Yes. Have I tried at certain times to get better gigs? Of course. But it's trying to just keep improving and enriching and again, celebrating that gift that is mine to give. Only a few of my guests on the Independent Minded podcast have arrived with gifts. What they don't realize, or maybe they do, is that what I receive in this space is more valuable than champagne or salami or a one CD box set. It's a blessing of perspective, of camaraderie, of reassurance, and even a little relief that the persistence of my own pursuits is pure. This is something that has survived in the strange trajectory of my life, this love of music. I want to celebrate that. I'm going to keep playing. I'm going to enjoy it. Well, I'm going to even find ways to protect that relationship. And now I get to share it and other people are enjoying it. It's like, and the music I'm making is just getting stranger even by my own sort of metric. And that works for me. And as independent-minded as Jesse is, he celebrates all this too, recognizes that this isn't a solo journey. It takes a village, a tribe, or at least the support of some characters that you meet on your yellow brick road that keep you on this trip. The fact that we're looking at a guy's one CD box set, that was his little creative endeavor. I had nothing to do with that. I had no, I had no involvement with that, but I wrote the songs that you're gonna hear when you open the box and you pull it out. The graphic artist who, who, who drew the thing, the person who took the photo, the people who sang the harmony, I just stayed kind of in my lane, but I surrendered and, and became a part of something that I could never do. I'm telling you, I could never make a CD. I don't even know how. I could never, I could never set up a meeting like this. I wouldn't know where to begin. Hey, you gotta f listen to my, this guy's record. It's, it's, it will blow your mind. Hey, remember the great mind blowing of 1969? It's like that, but sexier. I could never do that. I just don't know how. So. I need other people, and I don't mind needing other people. Jesse Daniel Edwards enters my house as an unknown quantity. He departs a new friend, a curiosity, and most of all, an inspiration. You can't be a Zen poet, a Buddha in black, unless you're looking to grow, to transform, to seek enlightenment, and to understand your humanity. A true artist never stops learning. We follow our instincts with open hearts and minds. If we don't try, will never fly. Even though you left it unlocked. They make a big entrance simply to let you know they have arrived. I never want to lose myself in anything I do. We may be past the rock star fantasy, but we're not past the age of dreaming. You never are. Attaining balance is the first step. Maintaining balance is every other step. So, yes, it's a daily conversation. You know, leave your ego out of it. It's not about the money. What money? You know, you're constantly plotting course. There's humility in that. You learn to navigate and that's a muscle. You get better at navigating. You know, on a cloudy day, can you still find the North Star? It's still up there.
Find out more about Jesse and hear the whole Valencia album at jessedanieledwards.net. Big thanks to the notorious JDE for the time and the conversation, Lauren Farah for the fab photos and the company, Josh Zanger at All Eyes Media for connecting some Nashville neighbors. And much love to you, loyal podcast listener. You're still here? It's over. You can go listen to Smartless now or watch that Star Wars thing you just started. Before you do, leave a kind review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And tell your friends that they can hear all the episodes they can stomach at baldfreak.com slash podcast and wherever podcasts are podcasted. Independent-minded, it's a Bald Freak Music production and me, I'm Ron Scalzo. You're a natural. You're a freak. You're a freak. You're a freak. And to everyone.